Welcome to this special episode of Carolyn Talks. And today I am joined by my friend and director and writer VT90 to talk about her, about her career and her film displays, which we spoke about briefly during AmTIF. I was so bummed we didn't get as much uh, to talk to um to get as long to what am I saying? My, I'm mixing up my words. To get to talk to <laughs> to have as much time as we wanted. <laughs> yes. That. That's oh, what I'm trying to say. My words. I talk too fast and I think too fast with my words, and I'm always losing my words. I get it. So much. Yeah. In my <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to say. But you know, it is during festival season. You really usually only don't get to talk to people for as long as you want. And we'll also because it's the end of the year, and one of my tr- Christmas traditions is watching Ever After. And BT and I are going to talk about Ever After. What are our, 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 it's after the Cinderella with Brandy? It's the best Cinderella adaptation I ever. Agree. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that. And it's just going to be a fun chat today. And it, I think it's a perfect way also to end like um, 2022. I can't believe it. It's the end I of the year already. It's wild. It's, it's This year has felt like super long. Yeah. 2021 felt like it just gelled into 2022. And it just felt like one big long year that lasted three years. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. But as usual, I usually like to start by asking my guests to say a bit about themselves. So, of course, I'll just ask VT to say a bit about herself and what got her into filmmaking. And then we'll talk about what got her in, what got her to start working with um, this place, which, as I mentioned, screened at the Toronto International Film Festival. And it was great. It's one of my favorite films of the year because I think she did a fantastic job talking about queer love as well as identity and culture. And it's just a whole smorgasbord of interesting topics. <laughs> so VT? Yeah, my name is VT90. Most people just know me by my given name, 90. And um, the VT is uh, paying tribute to my parents. Their, their first names are V and T. So I wanted to honor both of them in some way. Um, I am a director, writer, sometimes producer, depending on the project. Um, I've been working in the industry for, it will be 13 years next year, which is wild because I feel like I'm still quite young, but um, I'm not as young as I think I am in my head. I think my spirit is young. You my body saying, feels nothing old. but a number. That's yeah, my spirit is young. My heart is young. My body feels a little bit older, but you know, we're doing things to take care of that. Um, I work in television and film. Uh, I came from journalism and documentary and unscripted, but I've always, you know, been focused and um had my heart set on narrative um I grew up watching a lot of television you know television in the library babysat me to a certain degree and um I always was fond of and enamored by um by like worlds like imagined worlds uh, you know whether they're rooted in reality or they're completely made up um I just thought it was so powerful and beautiful to be able to create a world that people can dive into and find solace in and joy in and, you know, resonate with, or it gives them space to dream and hope. Um, And so narrative is where my heart is. And thankfully, you know, able to work in that space or have the capacity to work in that space now and interested in creating television and and film that is um, fictional or, you know, imagined to a certain degree and world building and um yeah I'm I'm excited I you know like you said we had our first feature at TIFF this past September and which was three months ago or two months ago and that feels really wild to me like where did time go three months ago yeah um and excited about the things that are upcoming and 
um, to go forth and keep dreaming and creating with other folks. Right. So you said that you started in journalism. What type of journalism were you doing before you transitioned into doing filmmaking? Yeah, I went to school at Ryerson, uh, Toronto Metropolitan University now, TMU in Toronto, and I did a journalism degree and I specialized in broadcasting, so radio and television at the time. So I was really training for four years to be a reporter. Like I thought I was going to be a reporter and be an anchor. I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. Um, you know, I watched a lot of rom-coms, which I think all comes back full circle. I also wanted to work for a magazine. Like I was torn between um, broadcasting and magazine and I ended up picking broadcasting, but magazine, you know, I, I wanted to live in New York. I watched all, one too many rom-coms. I wanted to live in New York <laughs> and write and be an editor of a magazine. And, you know, I was influenced by what I was watching for sure. And I was also influenced to go into journalism, even the broadcasting side because of the people I saw on TV. Um, but I, you know, I enjoyed writing and reading and I thought that would lead to journalism, you know, that would make sense. And I like talking to people and I love having conversations and learning about folks. So I trained for that. And then I never really worked in journalism. Like <laughs> I had a short doc in undergrad on colorism and shadism. And, um, that took me to making a featured mid-length feature after that. And so I never really fully worked in a journalistic space, but I had decided that when I was coming out of school that I didn't want to work in the kind of 24-hour news cycle. I wanted to do longer format. Mm. You wanted to be like Christine Amanpour. <laughs> I did. I wanted to be like Lisa Ling or Christine Amanpour. Like that was, yes, it was either that or I wanted to be the editor of Vogue, like Vanity Fair. Like I was torn. <laughs> I wanted to do either or would have been great a mix of two of the two and I still enjoy writing and I enjoy like you know column writing and essay writing it's still something I want to continue doing and I've as a filmmaker you know had the space to do that through different publications and platforms and I'm grateful for that um but I yeah I wanted to travel and talk to people and I think that like I still get to travel and talk to people and so that's still part of my world. And yeah, so trained journalists that never really ended up being a journalist. I know, right? See, that's what we have like a lot. We actually have a lot in common because like the things that I went to school for, I am not doing now. Like I mean, I got my diploma in paralegal studies. It was going to be a paralegal. And I'm like, nah, yeah. life happened. And it was like, you know what? I think I'm, if I'm going to do a job that's going to stress me, at least let me make it do a job that I, I can truly enjoy and that I can kind of also do on my own time. Yes, yes. I love traveling and I love talking with people. And that's one of the reasons that I'm a film critic, because I just love being able to talk to people and like going to the different film festivals. Yes. And for 2023, one of my goals is to travel to more international film festivals. I, I haven't done enough. But I'm going to affirm that for you into the universe. <laughs> we shall manifest it. Yes. yes, I believe in manifestation. I do. Yes, yes it will happen. <laughs> and, will. and like, and so like, I, we like we were of course we're gonna be talking about ever after, but like I just love when I'm able to talk to people and like discover new things that I have in common with them. And that's a, a way not only to relate to each other, but I just like to find fun things to talk about because yes. like transition that like you talk about like what round comes and and how they make us want to pursue careers because of how they make these films make these careers seem so um so fun and so exciting. And like one thing they don't ever do is talk about the mundanity of these kind of jobs. They're like, oh my yeah. God, being a color writer is going to be like, like we're going to be like Carrie Bradshaw. And you're yeah, yeah. like, there's no way you could be a color writer like Carrie Bradshaw because like, how is she affording these Louis Vuitton bags? Yeah. And, these bags and Louis Vuitton shoes and like, 
and as, living on her own in I mean even with rent control it's still a lot like <laughs> in the lower <laughs> not even in Toronto because Toronto's expensive people yeah. don't let go to get it twisted Toronto's a very expensive it's city very to live in yeah no I mean you know it's interesting and I think my world's collide. I was just re-watching the Gilmore Girls show. I love Gilmore Girls. I th- you know, it brought me joy. And um, but I, I saw an episode because the, one of the characters loves Christian Amanpour and um, and then she makes a guest appearance near the end of the series and the very last season. And I thought, like, here's my world colliding, like these kind of imaginary characters who also love, who are inspired by the same people who want to pursue a career just like I did. Um and, you know, I'm grateful, like, you know, journalism gave me the skills. I think I was always someone who knew how to talk to people. Like, I I think that's my personality is, like, I really hope that, like, when people talk to me, they feel safe and, you know, secure to share and to have a real conversation and to hold space for each other. But, you know, journalism provided me with the tools to do that in a, in a, in a structured, like, intentional way. And, um, it, I think it makes me a better filmmaker, to be honest, and director and writer. I think it gives you the tools for leadership in terms of relating to other people and like valuing what people have to bring to the table and share because you can't do your job as a journalist without that, you know, like it's, even with your work as a critic, you're interviewing people all the time. And like we are now, you know, it feels like we're having a conversation, but that's the best kind of interview, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And and the other thing I think about journalism and being a journalist is like, we have to be curious. You have to want to be like, and it's not curious in an investigative way, but you have to be like, if you see something, you're just like, oh, I wonder how this happened. And then you like, you trade and like, you want to make a story out of it, but it starts from curiosity. Yeah. And I think as a, as for, for, as a writer of a filmmaker and from my perspective as, as a, as a viewer and an audience, like you can tell when filmmakers have like genuine curiosity about the topic they're talking about, because they explore things differently and like they explore things I think more realistically because even like talking about like a lot of the films that we would talk about like from the 90s and even the early 2000s and like the early 2020s I can't believe I can even say that like we're in 2022 for goodness <laughs> sakes but like those kind of films those kind of rom-coms especially a lot of the ones set in like LA and New York in particular they kind of have this unrealistic um veneer over them like it's supposed to be set in real world but you can still tell like it's still from a very fat fantasy um perspective it doesn't feel real it feels like too yeah. glossy and like unrealistic and like for your film I remember one of the things I I I I, I think I tweeted out and I also put it in a, um in a tweet and I mentioned it to you where it was like oh wow I'm cute in Toronto oh right but it felt it felt realistic because the setting of the world like because there are places that I would I would have been like streets that I walked down there's that so I know that like, these places exist and they they do look exactly how they look in the film but like your film doesn't have like um a fake gloss to it. It doesn't feel unrealistic. Like I can I see them, I see them meeting in the laundromat and in the bookstore. And I'm like, oh, this seems possible. Whereas if I watch like a film like in New York, possibly like possibly because I've never actually been to New York as yet as well. That might be it too. But when I watch those kind of films, like I don't like the thing, the meet cues are that kind of situation that, that happens. I'm like, this doesn't feel realistic. It just yeah. feels too. It doesn't feel like genuine. So like that's how we can kind of like see them as like these as like true fiction. Like it's true right, fantasy. Right. Yes. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, it's so interesting. Like I am like a, like anyone who knows me knows that I love a rom-com. I love like a coming of age that's drama and comedy. You know, The Princess Diaries is one of my favorite films. I'm like, I talked to Norm Wilner for his show as well. And 
we were, I had told him, I was like, I'm going to pick between 10 things I hate about you and the Princess Diaries. <laughs> and, you know, and it was fortunately like the, I picked the 10 things I hate about you. And um, he had a lot to share about that. But, you know, I would have picked Princess Diaries. I just love, I love like coming of age. I love family. I love love. Like um, I love the intricacies and I love that, you know, I don't think it's always heartbreak and heartache and grief. I think there's so much joy and laughter and awkwardness. And I love like when those two things collide. And it was, you know, this place was not supposed to be a love story. I mean, it was a story of friendship originally, the way I conceived of it. And with the other writers, it became a love story, which is so interesting that like me, diehard romantic, like, you know, loves, um, loves love stories, <laughs> didn't think of that. Like I was like, but friendship is also a love story. So I, that's how I also saw it at the time. But I ended up still making a love story, you know, with all the family stuff and all the other aspects of the film included. But at the heart of it is like two people falling in love for the first time, which is like, I didn't intend on it. And somehow I still <laughs> made a love story. But but that's the beauty of like You mentioned it just now. I was going to say too, the thing is, um, I think, and this is also something that I find is a really export in, I think in North American, but particularly American filmmaking, where they don't really explore the love relationships or friendships. Like mm-hmm. you, like we, we, we always talk about platonic love. I mean, right. and like, but there's a, I find there's not enough American films, North American films that talk about platonic love, mm-hmm. you know? And if they do, it's just like a side, it's just like a side thing. And we as the audience are supposed to assume it, but they don't really actually put it that like, you can have a romantic, I think. And it's and it has nothing to do with sexual romance or like um thing, but you can have like a genuine romantic platonic relationship. Oh yeah, I have them with friends. Like, these are people yeah. that you know, and like they're the people that if you stop talking to them for like maybe two, three, four months, that like, you come back and it's like time you can hasn't pick up passed. Where you left off. Yeah, exactly. Right. So even if like so even if your film had been even if they hadn't like gotten into romantic relationship, I could still see it being about this love because there are these two people that they're drawn to each other and like they match. They yeah. match each other perfectly they that way. And it's still things. like, and it's yeah. still like a love story in that sense. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. I wish we got more of those kind of stories. Like, so that's, I think that's one of the reasons I also love Asian dramas too, because a lot of those kind of like Asian dramas, they do kind of like, there's an entire series dedicated to friendships. You I know, they, there is just about the friendship between these three women or our friendship between men. And like the whole, like they might have like their romantic relationships, like a husband or boyfriend or whatever. But like the whole story is about this friendship. Right. And, and all too often sometimes someone dies <laughs> yeah, that's what i've heard <laughs> situation i'm like come on <laughs> why is someone always ended up in the hospital but it's a whole different story uh, so talk a bit now so talk now we're talking about the love um of the, re- the development of the love relationship between the characters in this space so talk about that development when you were writing with the writers and how it transitioned into being also a queer love story because that the one of the things i love about this film is like it is a queer love story, but it's like still not like it's not set up as always like as like you're making this whole declaration like this is a relation, this is a right, romance. yeah, yeah. Just, like, it is just is it's just that's just what it is. It just happens. Yeah, that was our intention. I mean, like you know, like you know, writing with um queer women, like two other queer women, like you know, it's not been in my experience, but one of the you know one of our writers was falling in love and started dating someone at the time and. You know, everyone, a lot of people on our team were exploring their sexuality or were very, you know, very clearly, like, has, you know, for some time, like, for their whole lives, like, are queer women. You know, there's a lot of queer women involved with the project. But I think before those folks even got involved, like, 
I think the film was just reflective of where the writers were are at, were at the time. And um, I, you know, my original idea was that they were friends because I think for myself, like more than romantic, um, uh, intimate partner love, like, or experiences, I have always um, had very close platonic, like you said, relationships with my friends. Like they are some of my soulmates, you know, I believe. And so I just thought friendship, but then, you know, as we were writing and people's lives were unfolding, you know, outside of the project, um, it became informed. I don't know who suggested it first, but Devery and Goshan were both like, this could be a really beautiful queer love story, like between two women. And I saw exactly how the conversation went. I don't even know how, because I feel like it was such a whirlwind for us, even though it was three years, but um, it shifted. And then I know whoever brought it up, we were all like, yeah, that makes sense. We could do that. That's a different dynamic. Um, what we were very intentional about when we decided that was that it would not be like that their queerness would not be a source of trauma in the story. Like it wouldn't be something that's questioned or um, made into a big deal. Like we feel like there were so many challenging, difficult coming out stories. And it, I, if you notice, like in the film, there isn't even really a coming out moment. Like Malay tells her brother and it's a really like fun and awkward moment more than it is like, you know, and he's supportive and like he actually challenges her to think like, you know, maybe not everybody's going to respond a particular way, you know. And so we we knew it. we didn't we didn't want that to be a source of strife in their lives. Like they were already dealing with so much as so many diasporic like, you know, black POC and also indigenous folks here are dealing with. And so why add more chaos to the fire? And like these stories also exist. Like I have friends who've had coming out moments where maybe not everybody else supports them um, in their family, but you know, there are loved ones who are there for them and it is supportive and kind and open and welcoming. And also like, you know, that they don't have to struggle with that. And also that idea of coming out is very, I think Western in a particular way, like it's very white in a particular way. Like I have a lot of friends who haven't come out their parents know to a certain degree or their elders, they know they know. It's kind of a don't ask, don't tell, don't talk about it. But like everyone's living their lives. Like there's just so many different ways to exist. So I think coming out doesn't always look the same way. And we didn't want to make that like the point of the story. The point of the story is people are falling in love and dealing with their families. Um, the fact that they're queer is a fact. <laughs> it's part yeah. of who they are. It is their lives. They're not having some big disco discovery. They're both you know, leaning into it and experiencing it as it comes and not questioning it and trusting themselves and what they are attracted to and who are they attracted to and what feels right for them. And um, I wanted to see two women, you know, I think we really wanted to see two women who are Indigenous and POC that um, just follow the beat of their heart, like they're just following wherever their heart goes. And uh, you know, that includes like not only reconciling with their families or dealing with their fathers, but also dealing with each other. Yeah. Like you mentioned something, and it was something I've, I've actually been thinking about this week, where um, the the whole process or of coming out is very Western and is very and is very North American in particular. Because I was thinking this because I saw I was like someone on Twitter they were saying they came out to their family, and the thought occurred to me is like back home in the Caribbean, like people don't really come out. You just you like if you just like start walking around. Like if for instance, if someone is transgender. They'll just start dressing in whichever clothing they fits their identity. Yeah. Or if someone is like lesbian or gay, like we just know, like they don't, right. like they don't, like they don't have to declare I'm yeah. gay or homosexual or, or I'm a lesbian. You're just like, 
okay, you see someone like going to like, you will hear about someone going to like gay clubs or like right. if they're at a, a fet or a dance, like, they, 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 that's like, they come, they come around with their partner or right. that, are they just like, just do it. But it's like, it's yeah, not a big, it's big deal thing. For us. Yeah. I think I had been influenced by like white media, right? Like about what coming out is. And then I was talking to friends who are racialized and come from, you know, different diasporic families and experiences. And I remember someone telling me once, like, yeah, I didn't really talk to my parents about it. Like, yeah. I'm not, we don't discuss it. It's just my lifestyle and my my choices and my, not my lifestyle, my life, my choices, you know, who I love is my business. And like, my parents, you know, there was just like an understanding that they had reached yeah. silently, which I thought was, you know, like, I, again, am not one to say there is one or another way also, you know, like, I think that like people find the way that is right for them to live their lives. And for some folks, you want to make sure that people know when you stated and then I've seen friends who do that. And then there's some folks who are like, I don't need that to validate my life and my relationships and who I love. And so I think I just wanted to contribute to a narrative that opens up space for like other narratives to exist, right? That it affirms that like, it doesn't have to sound like or look like other stories that this too can exist in the infinite amount of ways that people can um, love and experience love. No, it's true. And 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 it kind of ties into what you're talking about, how the film already has, is talking about different aspects of different types of trauma. Like there's no need to add in the Just don't want it to be like a multi-trauma drama, you know? Right? (laughs) We're going to be talking about racism. You're going to be talking about otherism. You're going to be talking about like like the struggles of indigenous people on their native land. You know, you're talking about marginalization. You're talking about um, the trauma of war, you know, because the film starts, which I thought was very interesting. Like the film starts out, with this, with the war in the Middle East and like the, the characters, which is um, Mil- Milai's um, father, like he's fleeing from war. So like, the film starts out with a traumatic experience. And like, you're like, we don't need to do like this whole thing and make it all about like, and making it about trauma. Because I think the thing, especially for us as racialized women, like we know, like we know and that's also our very existence can be traumatic. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. We know our everyday can be. And like, that was also intentional, right? Like, we didn't, we chose not to include footage of war. We chose not to show there's alcoholism. We chose not to show the worst parts of that alcoholism. Like we don't need to show people our trauma for people to believe us. Mm -hmm. And I think it was jarring for some audiences that we didn't do that both outside of our community and within our community, even in our test screenings, because I think people are used to seeing like tangible evidence that there is trauma versus the impact that's had that's more quiet. And I think that part of the film maybe made folks a bit uncomfortable because we didn't offer up the trauma on a silver plate, right? Like we weren't like, here is the war footage and here is the drunken alcoholic rage. And here is like the fight between the, like, we just didn't show that. Even the breakups, the separation between family were very quiet, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, and I would say it is a very quiet film. You know, we cut a lot of the dialogue out that it was even in the script as first time feature screenwriters. And we just tried to hold space for like trauma exists and grief exists, of course. And so does love. And neither has to be loud. Like both can coexist in a very, I think for a lot of us, especially in the pandemic, like yeah, so many of our moments, joy and grief were very silent and quiet because we were removed from so many um people we love like we were behind a screen like this and community existed and had to find new ways to exist but it's not the same right and I think I really wanted to make a film that was quiet you know and that was 
not offering everything up and not having to prove that our pain is real for people to believe it, whether it's our own communities or other communities. And also um, not add more trauma than <laughs> exists already. Like this part of their life can be easy. And that's why I love the scene in the car when she, you yeah. know, comes out, you know, and I put it in quotation marks because it wasn't intentional and it wasn't this big coming out moment. She's just telling her brother about somebody she's met and he knows that she's met somebody because she's been distant and weird. And and then when she just says she, because he assumes it's a he, mm -hmm. um, he goes really awkwardly, which I think he played it so well. He was like, oh, <laughs> it's just like the oh is so funny. And I think we need room for levity. There are awkward moments that are funny. And if you look back, they're funny. So um, yeah, we just wanted it to have some levity as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you mentioned the quietness and that is something that I didn't notice about the film. Like the moments of confrontation aren't, aren't loud. There, there's no arguing. There's no slamming your doors. There's no big saying, I'm walking away. No, no, no yeah. nothing like <laughs> super dramatic like that way. But like, for instance, I mean, I'm going to host a leaves. She just leaves. Like she just tells yeah. Malai, I have to go. Yeah, you know? and we really wanted to make that a moment where she, like, sometimes it's not enough. Like, you can't, you know, I think especially as children of, like, BIPOC communities, like, um, our people can be loud. It's true. <laughs> our people can be loud, but also, number two, like, the other thing I think about is that we always feel like we, I think we can sometimes overcompensate. We feel like we have to take care of the people we love. We have to do everything. We have to tell them exactly why. Like there's a lot of like guilt we carry, I think like, and I'm not painting a brush over everybody, but I'm saying, I think that we try to take care more than others. I think, you know, because we know, we know what we have been through and here are two women, you know, indigenous and uh, POC and like, I just wanted, we wanted them to just be able to be like, you know what? I don't have the capacity for this. Like the right to say, I don't think a lot of us feel like we have the right to say we don't have a, the capacity, especially as black, indigenous, other women of color. Like we're supposed to be resilient. We're supposed to take it all. We're supposed to handle family and love and work and school. And, you know, and I just, I I think our our viewpoint was, it's okay to say, I can't do this right now. I care for you, but I have to take care of me. And that was really intentional because part of what I see filmmaking as and, and building these worlds is building a version of it that we can look at and be like, that is also possible, even if a lot of us don't feel that a lot of the time. Like, that's the dreamer part of me. I want to live in a world where, you know, most the majority of my closest friends are and like community are black and brown women. And I want us to live in a world where we even with each other can say, I don't have the capacity, you know, and I need to take care of myself. And then we and I have that with my friends where they're like, OK, you know, at this age, I think I have friends where they're like, girl, like, just go take care of yourself, you know, and and that's the kind of love I want to exist. So that's what we wanted to show in the film. And um, again, I think it's too quiet for some people, which is quite fine with me. I think it was so interesting to see the responses. I feel like our biggest audience, like positive response was like young people under 30, even under 25, and then like elder folks over 60. <laughs> Mm, so like the people in the 30s or 40s like they're they're the ones that are like they're, they're like it's a little quiet I don't get you know like which I think if young people love it is a good sign because maybe you're ahead of you're ahead of the moment you know and um but uh it was so interesting I I'm fascinated by responses and um but I think that if the thing that we intended is what makes people uncomfortable at least they felt what we intended you know
Yeah, no, I just I love that the film is quiet and like, or like even I think what I think one of my favorite scenes in the film is like when she, when Gonho still leaves and she goes home and she has that moment with her mom yeah. and it's this moment of resolution and then there is this scene with the burying um like her mom shows her where she buried her placenta yeah. and it that kind of made me think of also like how so many um BIPOC cultures have a lot of similar have a lot of similar yeah. cultural touchstones because there's a lot of other like black cultures like in Africa and even in the Caribbean like where we bury like the placenta or, or mm-hmm. like in Barbados we would say we bury our navel string you know yeah. like you don't now, like no we don't actually bury them but like but, but we still keep that thing alive because it's still a reference to like our our ancestry and like of our course. cultural customs where we say like, like I would say anybody asks where, where I'm from I'm saying Barbados I'm like that's where my navel string buried right you know yeah. like that's where it is so when I saw that scene it just kind of also made me think of like like so many of our struggles are the same but then also so many of the best aspects of our cultures and our identity are also like very the same or very similar yeah, the hundred percent. And we felt that like as we were sharing as writers, we're like, oh wow, I do this too, or our culture does this, or that's very similar to XYZ. And those are also the moments that we didn't want to explain because like again, you can see it for as a woman from Barbados, you can see it and have your own relationship to that moment, right? And Mohawk folks and other indigenous folks and look at it, but folks of African descent, like of Asian descent, like they all have some connection. So there are things that we don't need to explain. Like people were like, you know, there's a lot of a couple of people that were like, oh, in the test screenings, you should cut the opening. It doesn't make sense. And then there are other people who are children of refugees who know that story, who are like, oh my God, the way that ties to everything else so quietly is like, we know the impact. It's just there to say, this is where this comes from, you know? Mm-hmm. And between the airplane and the placenta, you understand where both people are coming from or all the communities are coming from. So, you know, there were a lot of moments like the placenta was one of my favorites. And we talked about that. We're like, we're not explaining that to people. Like if you're a Mohawk, you get it and you will relate to it. And if your community has that, you will understand it in your own way. And if you don't, then you should learn. <laughs> you exactly. I was just going to say that, like, those kind of scenes, like, there's scenes where you're not spoon feeding everything, to be honest. Like, for those who aren't familiar with these actual as- these aspects of, like, the Mohawk or uh, First Nations or in the Indigenous communities, if yeah. you don't know it, go and do the research. Be curious, yeah. right? I think that's another thing for me as for filmmaking. Filmmaking is supposed, it should make you curious yeah, yeah. like so this if i'm watching a film or a show or drama or whatever and if something happens and i'm like oh i, I don't know about this i think i'll i'll go and li- literally so i'm the queen of pausing and having multiple tabs and wikipedia and google searches as mm-hmm. i'm right like you know as i'm watching like i am the person who will pause to go and so um you know like it's not for a mainstream blockbuster audience i love those things don't, i love a marvel movie don't get me wrong but it is for the people who want to take time and appreciate slowness and appreciate quiet and I'm I'm really grateful like I feel like folks like you critics that I've spoken to who get it like it's really a case of those who get it really get it and those who don't do not that's <laughs> been my experience with this film and it's fascinating to me because I worked on it for so many years I, I'm letting go of it to a certain degree you know it's living its own life but I really appreciate speaking to and interestingly enough not just like BIPOC critics, but like even some younger white critics who have a more um, uh, nuanced, (laughs) developed, I think I, I believe in appreciation and respect are looking at it in the ways that I want. So, you know, I'm appreciative of like the people who get it. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, and I think that's, that's, that's what it should be. You're like, I made this for the people who get it and for those who don't get it well. And if that's, 
Do and I might think about things that. in the future that more people get and that's fine. But this one was for our communities and the communities that relate to like this one was for BIPOC communities and anybody else who cares to engage in our stories. And we were very clear about that. Yeah. And that's and there's and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because there's so many films. Um, and this is something that like we've talked about before. And, like so many of our friends and people like, like us in, in the film and TV community, whether as filmmakers or as critics or journalists like me, like where we where we talk about and when white people make films, they make it for them. They don't consider people like us or what they don't consider whether or not we understand how yeah. we'll feel about some racist or some racist statement, how we'll feel about the presentation of indigenous people on TV. They don't care about like as and as women, they don't care about how women might feel about a particular aspect of a story. They make it for them, you know? Yeah, 100%. But they, but but they also expect everyone else. To, to engage and to engage with it and accept it as it is because that's yeah. their, their supposed to be the, the most widely accepted perspective yeah that's real and you know like you know and also like it the working on this film and i, I know we're going to talk about it ever, ever after but while working on this film also made me um realize that how much our lenses and 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 expectations are shaped by whiteness and what exists you know what is in the zeitgeist what exists in popular culture what we've seen even as BIPOC communities and BIPOC audiences because I found that even with some BIPOC audiences you know we were asked about why didn't we show the war and why didn't we show the alcoholism and you know why to a greater degree and why didn't so we're almost <clears throat> groomed <laughs> to expect our own violence and trauma. And that was really interesting for me. And um, it just deeply kind of, for me, reaffirmed, like, that is not the filmmaker I want to be. And I hope with more films that I make or television that I make, that people, the audience and the appetite for what I'm trying to do will grow. Right. Um. So I something you just said, and it reminded me of the in, the interview I did with the with your um composer and because my memory is terrible I'm here legit looking up on IMD because I'm like I want to remember his name but my, my, my oh, memory oh Kalaisin yeah, yeah. Kalaisin. Today, actually. Like, yes thank you yeah my, I just have really bad memory but <laughs> <laughs> like one of the things like we like we talked about is how like um when he was com- composing the, the the score how he in he he has traditional music but he used what would be considered non-traditional instruments for the music. Like he, like for instance, like he has like um, Mohawk music and music of First Nations people, but he uses like instruments like the violin, the guitar, you know, trumpets and this kind of stuff. And you have that sound, but like the instruments aren't, their instruments are like what we would consider European. Yeah, like there's a very popular like um, Tamil horn mm-hmm. and he used the oboe instead, for example. So yeah, yeah we're right. and, 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 and it shows that how we as like people of color, we're adaptable, you know, we're, yes. able, we're able to like have our identity, but still be able to adapt and bring in other aspects of other cultures into our, into our stories. Whereas like for Western and especially white filmmakers, they don't do that. And if they do, it's very, um, very, in a very myopic and very, I think it's very, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, stereotype, stereotypically. Yeah. Like if you have a film set in the Middle East, like they begin the same, with someone ululating in the desert. And yeah. like, people are just randomly standing up in the middle of the dark ululating. Like, they use the same like, kind of Arabic, Arabic typing, white people version of Arabic sounds. Yeah, like I think, um, yeah, we were very intentional, but both of us did not want to play into stereotypes. We didn't want like 
South Asian drumming and Mohawk drumming and, you know, like call and respond. Like we didn't want it to be, but we wanted it to pay tribute without, without exploiting, <laughs> I guess, you know, exactly. so, um, we were very intentional. We had a lot of conversations. We were very clear with each other and it was really collaborative. Obviously I am not a musician, so I was not making music, but you know, I think the beautiful part of how we work together is it left room for me to be part of the process because I was very clear about what I wanted and did not want. And that helped him create a space that, you know, built the incredible score that he did. And, um, I'm so excited to work with him again. I think it was a true collaborative experience. No, it was. And I think that's the thing. And then also like you're like, as you're talking, like you can, I can tell that you learned, like you learned from him and you're all the, and all the people that you worked with, you learned from each other. You learned new things about each other. You learned new things about yourselves as filmmakers and you learned about your different cultures. And I think that's also, I think that's what filmmaking is supposed to do is, is to me, I see filmmaking as any other kind of learning experience where mm-hmm. like you learn on the, you learn, as of on this film, okay, like your mistakes that you, any mistakes to me, you're like, okay, I can rectify this in the next project I work on. I, mm-hmm. I learned how, okay, like, as a, for instance, like a cinematography, realized, okay, I learned a new lighting trick and I can apply that to the next film. And I think the same thing applies with learning about different cultures and how you present it. If you do a film, one time you're, do, are you're dealing with a specific, a specific culture mm-hmm. or a gender identity or whatever, and the story is about this, and you realize, okay, so this is how, like, the audience, um, receives mm-hmm. a story this is how people from this particular community receives mm-hmm. a story you're like okay if I go forward into the next project and it has the same similar like not topics but it has people of these communities whether it's like BIPOC or LGBTQ plus community you're like I can make it better and I can apply the lessons that I've learned here and mm-hmm. I think for a lot of film, a lot of film, filmmakers don't actually look at filmmaking as a learning experience because like you'll watch filmmakers for years and they keep making the same mistakes I can talk about Avatar but I won't but like Avatar is an example of that where like James Cameron has been making films for like 40 years and you're like watching these films. I'm like, have you learned nothing? <laughs> like you mm-hmm. have this extra community, but as a storyteller, mm-hmm. have you learned nothing in 40 years? <laughs> in 40, yeah. <laughs> in 40 years? Yeah. But like, that's the thing. But like, that's why I'm glad like to be able to speak like to filmmakers like you because I can tell that you're learning and that you're genuine. And I like, and like you're also looking forward to working with someone like Kalation where he, he learns from you and you learn from him. And that, I think, just, just makes the story better. And it just also makes it better for us as the audience to see because we be like, oh, I can fully um, enjoy it. And like, in the next project, I'll realize, I don't know, this is not going to be a whole story about trauma. I realize, yes, it may have like traumatic elements of cult, of like cultural identity where, because unfortunately that's where we live in. But I know that if it's a love story, I'm like, I will fully embrace and know that this is a romance coming my way. And there will be a meet cute, a meet cute that I have yet to experience in Toronto, but at least someone has it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that it gave people a meet cute moment. You're not the first person to share that, which is like so nice for me again, coming from the movies that I grew up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like bump, randomly bumping into someone in the library. How does that happen? Mostly in a Tim Hortons, <laughs> does that happen? Uh, <laughs> do people have meet cutes in Tim Hortons? I don't know, but <laughs> but I think this is also the perfect transition to talk about Ever After because Ever After basically is a story about a meet cute, the best meet cute in history, Cinderella's story. <laughs> because in this one, they have a meet cute, and um, and like, and he's running away from um horses, or whatever. We'll get to that. But yeah. we we like VT and I we decided to talk about Ever After because it's just a really, it's just like one of to me one of the most romantic stories 
ever and i've seen it multiple times yeah and, and- i love drew barrymore like i i'm a big drew barrymore fan mm-hmm. i still am i love her talk show i think she's really cool she's willing to like not take herself seriously like you know i mean i know she comes from a hollywood family and that's a whole different conversation but yeah. i think i grew up like i love watch i love the wedding singer you know never been kissed is interesting now looking at a lens as an adult but um, and very problematic but at the time like you know I just loved her acting you know and I think ever after she had an amazing run there and um, she was you know like this like darling of rom-coms you know and um, and relatable in in particular ways like it's so strange to say that this like white woman from a Hollywood family is relatable but I felt a resonance with her me personally based on yeah. my emotions and who I am and how emotional I am and um, hard on my sleeve kind of person at the time especially and I loved it I mean I love you know I think it's such an interesting take like you mentioned the Brandy Cinderella is like special in a way that can't be topped for I think black women any young women of color like we just like especially because Brandy was the princess of that time too you know already with Moesha and her music and so it was a, such a special movie. And I think this one in terms of white Cinderella's is my favorite white Cinderella. <laughs> I think that she also had so much agency. Um, and even in the end, like she still stuck to her guns. Like she never, I love that she didn't give up herself, that she was honest when she had to be. She um, didn't wait around for him. Like, you know, I think even in the end she fought for her freedom like she's just a badass you know the way it kind of touched a little bit on class you know like she was protecting the workers that she was working with in the family who used to work for her family and like you know I think there was something it's not obviously like a revolutionary movie but it did try to speak on things that in subtle ways or smaller ways that we don't really often see in a Cinderella story um and Angelica Houston obviously is <laughs> classic you know like what can you not say you know but also like we were introduced or I was at the very least like introduced to like Melanie Linsky and like you know there were other actors that I'm like incredible phenomenal actors so it was such a great cast for this kind of movie and I I loved it <laughs> it was visually the cinematography the makeup the wardrobe all of it it's so good because it's it was that's it's a 1998 film so like this film is like oh this film is over 20 like this film is almost 25 years old I think and I rewatched it this morning and like now that I'm old I rewatched it multiple times but I was watching with a more clear I think a more clear eye this time because I was paying more attention to the dialogue like and like yeah you said that the film mentions um it talks a, a lot about classism it talks a lot about I think also about the the use well uses a monarchy if it's now actually helping the people and they think they do it and this film is written by Su- Susanna Grant Andy Tennant and Rick and Rick Parts and it's directed by Andy Tennant a male director which is something I never paid attention to to when I was younger but it's like I think it's amazing to me like this being one of my favorite romantic films was directed by a white man and like he pays I think he pays and, and again he's being him being the co one of the co-writers he pays I think a lot of attention to like the struggles of women in class in like in class in status and also the struggles with regards to women in society as a as a as a broad concept but then also in in family dynamics like he talks about family dynamics in a way that I don't think we see even now in 2022 where if you have like the stepmother and the stepchildren like he talks about it in a very realistic way where like a like 
I'm being older, I can kind of see where Angelica's character is coming from because like she's like a woman who married this man and she's marrying him to protect herself and her two daughters. And then he just ups and dies and she's left here to raise a child that she doesn't know in a, mm-hmm. in a country that she doesn't know and work and has a whole household to run. But there's something I think very nuanced in Angelica's performance where like the, and this is something that I always noticed even when I was younger, where when he dies and he turns to Daniel and he tells her, I love you. That's the, that's where you can tell that's where the, the, the switch flipped for her. And this mm-hmm. is where like Angelica Houston is such a fantastic actress. Like so much of her performance in this film is nuanced. Yeah, there are moments where you feel for her. Like you, you do. Excuse me, you really caught it like where you see it in her eyes. I mean, she's a phenomenal actor. She's an OG in her, you know, profession for a reason, but it's just so nuanced in some ways. You know, even like <clears throat> Drew Barrymore's, you know, character, like, you know pushing Henry and asking him and, you know, questioning him and um, making him consider, you know, again, not like a big revolutionary movie, but even those subtle moments of questioning and he's not just a prince to aspire to, like what, what good is your princehood if you can't make changes and impact lives of people? And do you even think about the people whose lives you impact, you know? Um, So I really like, it's so special, you know, I was like looking when before we chatted and I have it saved and open, like even Roger Ebert was like, his critic review said like, the old tale still has life and passion in it. Like, you know, even Ebert, right? Like, you know, even like, you know, even I think it has 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like most yeah. critics were like this, you know, you don't expect that of a Cinderella story. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you just don't. And there's been many, we know there are countless Cinderella yeah. retellings. So for a film to even, a Cinderella story to even have that level of critical response, I think, which you kind of, I think a lot of studios probably expect when they make a Cinderella movie, they're not going to get the biggest critical response, but the audiences will come and watch it so they will make money, you know? And I think that says something, and just the fact that so many people love it and rewatch it. Like, I love critics. I think criticism as care is like, a, a, a possible thing and I want to see more of that and at the same time like there are just movies that we all love that critics hated <laughs> but we That's all true. love it you know like, and they are great as a can see like sometimes I when I see reviews for other critics I'm like what are you people talking about like what yeah about? exactly like I remember I mean not to bring it back there but like you know the Prince's Diaries has 49% on Rotten Tomatoes right but like it brought us back Julie Andrews, the magic of the chemistry between Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews was like undeniable as her grandmother, you know, and there, it's a people's beloved film, right? So I think Ever After is like that with the critical response that was good, is that it's just so beloved in people's hearts and it and, and offered us, there's only so far you can kind of shift the Cinderella narrative, but it did that while also staying true to what it is um, and giving us a different option. And I think it resonates with folks. And I think there's something so wonderful about Drew Barrymore. Like I, her character with the actor who plays Henry, I'm trying to remember his name. Um, Drew Gray Scott. He's so handsome yes. down here. He's such so a handsome. great, so good. Their chemistry was amazing. And like, but like there, I think Drew Barrymore has this quality to her as a person and as an actor that you can't help but smile. You can't mm-hmm. help but laugh. Like she's, she reads so genuine on screen, regardless of who she's playing. And especially at that time in 
her younger years like it's why people love the wedding singer why they love never been kissed like you know i think stories aside her as an actor in her characters you just feel like she makes you feel like it's you you know and i think it resonates with people so I just love it. Like, I want to do that for Halloween one day. I want to wear the sparkles on my face and have the wings and have that dress was beautiful. The costume design, the casting was amazing. Like, the set design, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, like, all of it. The inclusion of Leonardo da Vinci was such, I think, an unexpected um, moment, uh, an unexpected reference. But there's little moments. I love how they use this film to pay attention to actual history like um like the scene where um where henry and daniel they meet in the um in like the dilapidated building like he talks about after work and he's referencing the hundred years wars and that was a war that started from the 13th century and ended in the late 14th century which is where the film is started so it's referencing actual history and yeah. referencing how like things like the war changed their country and changed their economy and then mentioning leonardo da vinci and like how his own background as being the, he called himself a bastard son of a peasant, where he, like, this is another thing the film is talking about. And this, I think the whole Cinderella story is talking about that like, it doesn't matter where someone comes from, you know, it matters as who they are as a person, like what they do with their right. life and where they end up. And like, and they use Leonardo da Vinci to, to show, I think, in a very, in a very smart way too, and a very subtle way to show, like, you have this man that came from like a very, very poor background. And also, one where, yeah. and also one where he would have been shunned because like, a man, a, a, a child who came from an unwed mother would have been as a, basically almost a pariah in society at yeah. that time. And also showing her best friend who is a reflection, a younger reflection of Da Vinci himself, you know? And and like, I think it was just brilliant, like in very specific ways. And um, it grounded in a reality, even just like not, not having the, grounding it in, like you said, reality in, in France at that time. And everybody had an English accent, but except that everybody had that's what I was just gonna say that aside from the which is still a Hollywood movie and it's still American, you know. Um, aside from that, like grounding in a particular time and like not making it about magic or magical realism or anything, just like her mother's old dress and these wings, and this artist comes to help, and like just like the magic of artists and the potential that they show us like in Da Vinci, like he came to help her, you know, he helped her get ready. This man also like, you know, this, this notion of like this young woman is being helped by this elder man to like, you know, not he, she, Leonardo is is her very godfather, you know, in in essence, right? This artist who understands in the world the world in a way that none of them understand, and they could all learn from him, and they all love to parade with him and show him off, but they don't actually listen to him. And even Henry doesn't listen to him, you know, mm-hmm. in the end, and you know, eventually does, but he doesn't for a while. And um, I just love that, like that, like it can just be an elder in your community that you meet, who right? you connect with, who can help you have that moment. It doesn't have to be this magical fantasy you know it's just people helping people too you know mm-hmm. who see something in you right and and then the, the and like as you were talking about like the the best friend and I just legit just thought of it like where like we talked about like we were talking about how Leonardo came from a very poor background and he came from almost being like um would have been um shunned in community and became the most famous artist in history in human history like we still talk about him now in the 20 in the 20 first century and like his artworks are still standing and he's still revered as an inventor and a mathematician and an artist and all that and then I just was thought thinking about her friend and how his his, his friend is her friend is literally introduced covered in mud 
Like that's, and I think that's such a, a very subtle form of storytelling where you have like these visual cues and telling you where he, her friend, he starts so covered in mud. He's look, looked at as and less than anything. And she's down to roll around too, right? Like, right. And like, like they're both covered she- in mud. And at the end, she's married to the prince and her friend is being recognized as an artist by Leonardo da Vinci of all people. So like, it's such a, it talks a lot about the evolution of people when you have people who support you. If you have people who can bring you up and who can support you and like show you your value and your worth that like you can start from the lowest of the low and like become like, and it, and it has nothing to do with like elevating status, but it just shows you like, I was like what's it? There's a saying where, um, there's this Chinese thing. You can't take a, a you can't turn, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, but it's kind of like the same thing where, you know, you say you can, like you can have the most beautiful gem out of the, out of a piece of rock, something that looks like a piece of rock. Mm-hmm. Right. And like the film is talking about the beauty mm-hmm. of like, just believing in people and you can see if seeing the beauty of people no matter what their exterior looks like yeah yeah, yeah. and I just, I just love ever after it's yeah. like even just talking about it just thinking more about it this film has layers i know i'm yeah. like i gotta watch it again <laughs> like, i'm glad i rewatched it this morning because just like and even like I, I, you talk about the costume design i think the costume design in this film is stunning like it's so beautiful and it's so her dress isn't like the blue fantastical blue, blue fantastical dress we know from like the stories and from like the cartoons and even like brandy cinderella it's just like this white dress and it's a dress that was passed on from her mom and her shoes are also practical people they were practical and, and accurate to the time but like you know that it's kind of glass this kind of glass slipper because like when he's um when he's on the on the battlement and he's standing and the rain starts to fall you hear the rain fall on it it's like tinkling you can hear that it's crystal and i just love those little touches in the film like the film references like the actual story in such a small way like beginning mm-hmm. with the brothers Grimm and her mm-hmm. granddaughter and i love also that the film starts with her granddaughter telling the story she's like i'm not gonna i'm gonna tell you the real story i'm not gonna let you you two come up with your own idea the story i'm gonna tell you this is the reality and it ends up with her saying, it doesn't matter who they became. The, the point is, is that they lived and they loved, which I think is just like, that's the whole point. It's like, the point is that they loved and they had an impact. It doesn't like, it's not about making it into this fantastical story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about it. like, now the scenes are playing in my head again. <laughs> it's so, so good. And like the thing, and like, even like the thing that made us want to start talking about this is like, so like we, I was tweeting about the whole, the scene where he proposes her, like to me, one of the most romantic scenes. And I think the fact that the scene comes after she rescues herself, like he's, he thinks he's coming there to rescue her. And she's like, oh, and no, he has to admit rescue. that. Yeah. He's right. like, he has to admit his like assumption and his stupidity, like in that moment. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, his machismo, you know, like he has to be like, well, I, apparently I didn't need to do that. <laughs> like I didn't need to make this big dramatic entrance. Like you were already yeah, doing it for yourself. Calling her by her name and and admitting he was wrong and like all of that is so wonderful because you don't see it as often no you don't and like the fact that he even that he still proposes to her after this moment where like for I think in a lot of films and a lot of stories whereas the this he's the male protagonist and he's like the prince and he's like supposed to be like this big um, man like he's he's a rescuer you know like princes are in fairy in fairy tales in particular are, the are, they're the rescuers they're the man there to save the damsel save in the distress day. yeah and and he's still like realized oh okay you didn't need me he's, he's disappointed yeah he's disappointed but he still is able to step outside himself and say i still want to marry you like i make the most romantic proposal ever he's like 
I see you as you are and put the shoe on her feet. And the fact that he didn't have to go around trying to, that never made sense. Even to me as a child, how would you not know who this shoe belongs to? Why are you putting this shoe on random people's feet? And it could fit random people. If it's a certain size, it's going to fit random people. You know what I mean? Like, and she's wearing a sock when he puts it on, like just all of it. (laughs) It's so good. And like, and the line, I think the dialogue is really, really well, because like, there's this line by Angelica where Daniel Ansker and for any, for just like for one moment, did you have any measurement of love for me? And, oh, and, the pebble, and the rock yeah, in her. I thought that line was so good. Where she's like, how can someone love a pebble in their shoe? I was, you know, that line gave me chills. I was like, wait, wait, but that line is so like good. Shade, so rude. But also like in her face, she's playing as like, it's so much more complicated than this, you know? Yeah. She's like, how can I, how can I love a pebble? In I was like, oh, I'm like, you know Liter- that's like literary masterpiece right there <laughs> so the way she delivers it so good yeah, it's so good like angelica houston so good she's amazing like it's so oh, like ah uh, so uh, honestly <laughs> ever after really is okay. one of the best romance pictures ever honestly they I most i think we're directors to go and watch ever after and learn <laughs> Just the pro- even the production does ev- it's just how the elements all come together to serve the purpose of this grounded love story. I think it's a wonderful example of how lighting, camera, this production design, art direction, direction, dialogue, performances, costume, makeup, like you know, it just comes together. Set like you know the builds, like it just comes together so beautifully um and everything complements each other so well such a tight cohesive unit it feels like that made that film what it is and everybody that was involved was immensely talented like that's what it feels like and it doesn't happen very often you know and I think um for this genre and that type of movie for a love story it's quite a feat it's a yeah yeah there have and I don't think there's been any don't quite like it since then I think it's really genuinely one of a kind because it like like again talking I I think this is something that that has to be kept talking and not even because of this film but also I think if you look at filmmaking in general a lot of the different types of stories like how many we've seen how many iterations of these Disney fairy tales being made even up to today up till now where they're remaking all of them but none of them really have any narrative depth to them. Like none of them are giving like actual. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's whimsical. It's ground. Like, I don't know. Ever After is so special because it's equally both grounded and whimsical. And that's really hard to do, right? Like when they're walking on water or she's just Mm -hmm. in the river or Da Vinci's in his little devices. Like, it's just so special. Like, you know, when they're in that dilapidated bill that he wants to turn into a library, a university. And um, when even when even when the break, like when he when she comes into the ball in that outfit, like I think anyone who has seen that, that image of her coming in is seared. Like it's so perfect. So there's all and then it's matched by a very grounded, real moment afterwards. Right. And I think um, that's what makes it so special is that it's like both. um entirely whimsical and beautiful and of another world almost and still happening in this world you know yeah yeah it's she doesn't turn because the clock strikes midnight and the magic stops singing she becomes like disillusioned because her stepmother has found another way just to embarrass her and and ruin her moment this was her moment this was literally what we would add the way she rips the wings like all right like she like it's her it's literally her cinderella moment 
And her stepmother just takes, rips her wings. And like we say, like, you know, when you use the phrase that clips someone's wings, like she you stop them from flying. She like, yeah, this liberatory kind of experience, this freedom in her mother's dress, right? Like just the levels. <laughs> like the level, like there's so much context in, the, in that one scene, like this woman yeah. that she was even, because even after everything that she's been through, the 10 years of working as a servant in a household that she owns, that's her own home. She, yeah, like, she and any tenant, like any tenant himself, the director, like he's no small guy, right? Like he did Ferris Bueller. He worked in the Wonder Years. Like I have it all open. And then he wrote like It Takes Two, you know, Fools Rush In, like Sweet Home Alabama, like Hitch. He's not a like he's not set, removed from, you know, these kind of like um, feel good layered complex like uh drama comedy romance kind of in in between right i think he also worked on greece like yes. it's a very interesting history <laughs> yeah yeah very eclectic um yeah. filmography he was, he was a dancer in greece <laughs> but anyways like you know i think i encourage everyone to watch it when people laugh at me like my best friend just did when we before we got on this call like i I'm not ashamed to love these things. They keep my spirit young. They keep me believing and have faith and find joy. They provide solace. I can return to them. And I think the mark of, listen, there's so many marks of a great film. Sometimes they have an impact. You can never watch it again, but you'll never forget it. You know, it's too intense to watch more than once. Like sometimes it's the movies that, a lot of times it's the movies that you can keep coming back to, that you can watch anew or it provides comfort. You know, there's a reason why people watch Home Alone every Christmas, right? Like, again, amazing filmmaking. If you look into like the, how it was made, a whole different story. But, you know, I think in this case, it is that, it's that nostalgic, like comfort, joy. You know, when you watch, you're going to feel good. It's a nice ending. It feels real. And you, you, you can't help. I don't think it could ever get old. Like it's just got this timeless quality to it that, you know, I could watch it with young folks now. And I think they would find some beauty in it. And it's because it's not set in the present. It's that kind of period is always going to be period, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think, um, not, I think I just love it. And I will always return to it. I don't even know how many times I've watched it at this point. And I'm very grateful for films like that. They bring joy into my life consistently and they bring a kind of comfort and ease that I think we all need in this world. Mm. No, I agree with you completely, 100%, because it is one of those films that I can rewatch. Like, one of the, like, well, as you were talking, it made me think of how, like, your film and both of them have, like, similarities where they're both about a re- romance and they're also both about friendship because, like, um, Danielle has a friendship with um, Leonardo. She builds a friendship with Leonardo da Vinci and she has like her best friend. And, and they, these are friendships built on mutual respect and, and like similar love for like nature and art and whatever. But then it's also like talking about trauma, but in a very soft way. Cause mm-hmm. like, um, like Danielle, she has trauma of her, like of feeling abandoned. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like she, this woman has treated her horribly for like 10 plus years. But mm-hmm. she still holds on to the hope and that this woman could find some way to love her because mm-hmm. she can't bear the thought of losing another parent, mm-hmm. uh, losing yeah. another parental figure. You know, like she does everything she can when Maurice, one of her um work, one of the house workers is so loved. So like she does okay. everything she can to get him yeah. back, you know, and like she talks and like the film talks about trauma, but in a very soft and a very smart and subtle way. 
and and like and like just like just as as I was like there's there's similarities in these kind of films and like this is another way that I think like filmmaking is a way for other for people not only to relate to to each other but just also to relate to find to think about the world differently and like just to like realize like we a lot of us do have like similar stories but are mm-hmm. similar experiences without even realizing it mm-hmm. and ever after it's just like it's just such a soft and feel-good moment and one of the best feel-good moments ever is that she gets her retribution in the end but it's a it's a way that works for her you know like she doesn't have to become the bigger person where she says i forgive you stepmother go on about no Mm -hmm. i i'm gonna i'm after this i'm not gonna think about you ever forever for the rest of my life but i'm not gonna let i'm not gonna forget all the ish that you put me through for 10 plus years you will still face consequences for this uh for what you've done to me and you i will treat you she's like i will literally treat you the way you treated me which was like you treated me like a servant that you consider less than and therefore henceforth that's going to be your consequence that's going to be your punishment a hundred percent yeah i love that moment <laughs> like yes yeah, she got her redemption. she got her comeuppance redemption so good you know, yeah thank you for inviting me to talk about it I just love it like when you asked me I was like yeah let's go let's do this <laughs> and like somebody wants to talk to me about ever after absolute like I feel like I've had a great year just like being invited to talk about ever after and 10 things I hate about you that's very on brand and in alignment with my spirit I'm so happy <laughs> Listen, I, 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 I will admit 10 things about you is not one of my favorite films and but I I but but the thing is, is also like both those, both those films are from the same era of TV of film. Yeah. Like they both come from this, and this is just something that isn't that I even I talked to someone about recently. Where like we haven't had these kind of films about young, well, not chefs, not young love, but like love where people have like it's difficult, but it's realistic love. But it's also a love where you're just like this is a film that I can see myself watching 20, 30 years down the road. Yeah. Whereas like so, a lot of the films made now is like. This is supposed to be a romance. Where's the romance? Yeah, hundred percent. No? Versus, like, you know, like in ten things I hate about you. Not to go down that tangent because I know we only have so much time. But well, you know, the thing about that movie is, like you said, like when she's like reading her poem, or you know, he, you know, he's talking to her in the party. Like they're all real circumstances. You know what I mean? And then there's like an over to the top gesture that does happen. Like people do do big gestures. But most of the film is like, yeah, that's two teenagers at high school who don't get along, who then start falling for each other. This is real, <laughs> you know? And I, I went to an all-girl school, so I'm not really sure about that. But I've heard from yeah, my yeah. sister. My sister yeah. went to a mixed school. I went to an all-girl school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's a difference. But so, but I, but I, but like that's, but that's also reality. Like people form relationships in school, and like they, some, some of them continue on into adulthood, and some of them don't. But that I find like uh, some of the films now they don't feel timeless. Like there's uh, some of the we haven't really had an era of romance films like we had like in the late nineties, early two thousands. No, like, not at all. Haven't had that in a really and I just time. like you know to cap it off. I just love at the end where he goes to his her sister, her stepsister, well, the mean one, not the nice one. And even this like Melanie Linsky's like character, like the being trapped within like having to follow suit with your mother and not feeling like your mother is right is so real too. The way she plays it, like she tries to help her, she tries to be, you know, give her advice that's well-meaning, but not helpful, you know? And when he goes, you know, Marguerite, I don't believe you've met my wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it's just, and just like these moments. And I don't know. I love it. I want everyone to watch it. Try to open your heart up to a movie like that. Like, you know, I think 
people who hate it are like, I think cynical. <laughs> Not to blanket statement, everybody, but That's like, true. guys. But how could you not love it? The magic of it. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, and you're, we're going to wrap it now, but you mentioned like Melanie Linsky. And like, I think one of my, what's one of my favorite moments of the film, and it's a very, very small, subtle moment, but it's again, another real world reference where like the moment, you know, like when they're trying to keep the secret of like Henry going to look for Danielle and she begins to close the door. I'm like, that's the Mona Lisa moment right here. I'm like, that's, and I'm like, it kind of right. makes I didn't think so, about it that way, but you're right. Yeah, it yeah, is. Like, the expression on her face. And then it's like, she's wearing like the-, the something um, hidden, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, and I'm like, that's Mona Lisa. And it kind of made me always think of like, was Mona Lisa inspired by, um, by, by, by Jacqueline? I'm like, it would be so cool if you think about right? it that Leonardo broke, he created this oh my god I never thought about that you're the first person that put that in my head now I'm going to rewatch that scene but you're right it's just like she knows a secret that everybody else doesn't which is the joke about the Mona Lisa that she's in on something that the rest of us are not right yeah so I'm like and I'm like and I kind of also like we're saying like how the film kind of makes elevates people in a way like people have been ignored by society or the people around them like they're more important than they're given value for and like for Jacqueline if like she's the Mona Lisa like her 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 mother and sister didn't value her as a person, you know. Like they ignored her, mistreated her, and then like lo and behold, Leonardo da Vinci created the most famous masterpiece based on this woman, this person that you ignore for most of your life. So mm. I think it was just cool. <laughs> True. Oh my gosh, I never thought about it. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're gonna wrap up now, but thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. So I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It was such a joy speaking with you about this. I, and just like well, film. I, is like, like, I love talking with you about this place and also whatever after like the similarities. Who knew? There was like all of these. I just love being able to talk to people. And this is like the perfect way for me to end off my year because you're literally my last interview oh podcast God, chat for I'm the so year. I'm so honored. I really, honestly, I was like, I've canceled everything this week because I've been under the weather. You know, I just wrapped on a, a project that I can't talk about yet. But like, you know, I just I was like, this is the one thing where I'm like, no, we're going to talk about ever after. I'm going to talk to Carol. <laughs> yes, and I appreciate that. I'm honored that you, you. That, you, that you took the time to speak to me about that. And so Thank before we wrap it, tell the people where they can find you and find your work and where they can uh, find information about this place is it it's not on do you is it on your vimeo do you have a big um, no it's uh we have we're, we're working at the distribution details but it should be out next year in canada and um other territories to come so we're on instagram and twitter for the film at this place film and all the updates will come through those channels or through myself um i'm underscore nine like the number nine and then key k-n-e-e nine so people say my name right <laughs> and um yeah i think i'm mostly on twitter and instagram all the updates come out there but it will be available in canada next year um your details to come excited about that and then um hopefully in available worldwide in multiple territories as well so more to come <laughs> for it being distributed so because i want more people to watch it and i think especially for a lot of canadians especially for a lot of torontonians yeah they'll um they'll have fun like looking at locations and be like oh wait i have fun like some like for some reason but i've been there i've walked down that alleyway i've seen that mural so that's yeah. kind of fun for me but i think it's also a, an important lesson i think for a lot of people um like we talked about this in our interview with during tiff where a lot of people don't have a full understanding or, or, or an idea of how like um marginalized first nations people are treated in in canada like they don't mm -hmm. understand like a lot of like first nations people are still very much marginalized and it talks about that and then also 
I think it gives a realistic perspective of what immigration is like in Canada because like people come to Canada and they think it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows and easy sailing and it is not being yeah. an immigrant in Canada is not easy mm-hmm. and the film touches on that so I hope more I, I can't wait for it to get distributed and for lots and lots of people to see it and I'm so proud of you thank you I really appreciate it I'm, I'm really excited to share it I'm excited to talk about movies like we just did like I love film and television and I'm very like grateful that I get to be an artist who gets to talk to people like you and also make movies and film and talk about movies and film like life is good <laughs> it is and that like, you're gonna have I think you're that like, you say you can't talk about the new project that you just finished wrapping up but I know that you're gonna have a fantastic career and I can't yeah. wait for us to talk in 2023 to see what else you you'll be doing and uh, that we'll definitely have to talk about another film maybe 10 things I hate about you we can do a breakdown of 10 things I hate about you. Oh, I have a bunch of films if you want to talk about it. I have a list. And yeah, like, you know, I'm working on a TV, my first television series and some other film projects. So it's exciting. It's a good time. And um, I will always love to talk to you about everything. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. For sure. Thank you. So everyone, that was another episode of Carolyn Talks. I'm your co-host, Carolyn Heisen. In this episode, I was joined by filmmaker VT90 to talk about her film, This Place, which premiered at the 2022 Toronto International Film Festival, as well as Ever After. We had a terrific time talking. It was so much fun to get more time to talk to her about This Place and about her filmmaking journey. And I can't wait to see what she does next. I know she recently wrapped up doing a project, but she can't say but I can't wait to see what it was. And I also had so much fun talking to her about Ever After. It's one of our fav- um, one of our favorite films personally. We kind of like connected talking about it. She was like, oh my God, I love this film. I'm like, oh my God, I love this film. We have to talk about it. So it was great to talk to her, not only about her own personal filmmaking journey, but also about a film that inspired her as a creative, as well as just a film fan. I also have a, a really good time talking to filmmakers, in particular film creatives, about other projects, films or TV shows and art that inspires them. So it was really good to have her perspective on Ever After as a filmmaker as well. And thank you to everyone who has listened to any of my episodes in 2022, even 2021, 2020 of doing Carolyn Talks. It has been an amazing journey and I appreciate each and every person who even spent at least one minute listening to any of my episodes. And um, I, I can't wait to see what 2023 brings. And for anyone who is new, Thank you so much for just stopping by and looking at this podcast and saying, hmm, what's going on? And for any veteran listeners, I like saying that, um, who was, who's been with me from almost the beginning or from any moment along my podcasting journey, I appreciate you. I appreciate all of the encouragement I've been getting from my friends and family to continue doing what I'm doing. I love this job. It's stressful, it's, but it is very rewarding for me. 2022 was not the best year for me medically because I had some medical challenges. I wasn't able to do everything that I wanted to do, but I'm so grateful for everything that I did get to do and I was able to accomplish and achieve. And I can't wait to see what 2023 brings me. I started off the year with a bang. I got to write a profile on Angela Bassett. Yay! For Variety Magazine. So I think that's a great way to start the year. And I'm looking forward to any blessings, triumphs, and gifts that 2023 brings me. And I wish the same for everyone who has been a guest on my podcast and even on my YouTube channel. I wish the best friend uh, VT and all of my... (laughs) And everyone who has ever taken the time to speak with me. And for those listening, I wish the best for you and your family and your friends and that you achieve all of the goals you set up for yourself. And even if you don't, it's okay. Take time to cherish yourself. Take time to cherish the moments you have. Literally, stop and smell the flowers. All right, it's winter right now. Go sit and take a walk in the snow if there's any snow around. 
Um, but I'm not going to ramble on. But you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CarrieCNH12. That's C-A-R-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2. Visit my authory page where all of my published writing, interviews, film analysis, film reviews, as well as links to my different podcasts. So that would be Carolyn Talks, as well as So Here's What Happened at the Coast, my friend Lenisha Campbell, as well as Beyond the Romance, which is my Asian drama podcast. I kind of went on hiatus with that one at, uh, around the end of 2022, but I'm going to pick it back up. I'm going to be a bit more consistent with that. And you can also find links to my YouTube channel on the R3 page. So that's r3.com slash Carolyn Hines. And my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash at sign Carolyn underscore Hines. So that's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N underscore H-I-N-D-S. And um, I think that's it. So until the next episode, everyone, stay safe. Oh, 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 oh,